In this episode, I get Rocky Mountain High in a cozy mountain home with my friend, Chris Becker. You might recognize Chris from the Honeybee Collective, a renowned cannabis collective based in Colorado. Some of you might also recognize him from his previous appearance on the popular Chillinois podcast. Folks, if you find yourself captivated by today's conversation, I kindly ask you to share your positive feedback and ratings from wherever you're tuning in from. Those ratings, thumbs up, hearts, whatever, sharing it with your friends, it all means so much to me and is greatly appreciated. Additionally, if you're able, please consider becoming a patron at chillinoy.net slash Patreon. That's C-H-I-L-L-I-N-O-I-S dot net slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. For just $3 a month, you gain exclusive access to all of the content that I release as I release it. So if you're not listening to this on Patreon, there's a good chance you're listening to this late. Um, so folks, if you're able to support us on Patreon, thank you so much. If you're not, we'll, we will take your support in uh, the form of a positive review or sharing it with your friends. Your support means so much to me and quite literally allows me to continue doing this show. I hope you find as much value in today's conversation as I did. Enjoy the episode. So I just, I feel at home here because cannabis is cheap and uh, pretty decent from what I was able to choose from. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the speed limit's 75. If that is in America, I don't know what is. Um, and I'm surrounded by pets, so I, I just feel I feel at home right now. This is great that all the animals came for the interview. Uh, feel very supported. Yeah. <laughs> Good they emotional support up. animals. They had to show up. I know at least the cats are on camera. I think B might be out of frame, but mm. I'll put a picture and maybe even a cute little video of B cool. up for folks that, that may want to see B. Oh, she's B the mountain dog on Instagram, and she's the most popular of any of our accounts. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, she's she's great. She's gone viral twice. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you go, B. You go. She. That's why she's just like staying out of frame. She's like, look, I've been viral before. I don't even need to be a part of this. Yeah, I'm. I'm already famous. Everybody loves me. <laughs> no interviews. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's it's quite unreal the view I'm looking at, folks. If you're from Illinois, it's not flat cornfields. Um, <laughs> it's pretty crazy. I'll I'll show the view of that uh, on screen as well for folks that that would like to see it. Thank you so much again. Just I wanted to say like on the podcast for inviting me to your home and, and sure you yeah know, being up to do the podcast. It's exciting. A lot of my best friends are people I met on the internet, and uh, <laughs> you know I feel like you get to know people and their values, and so I can tell you're a good person, and I've enjoyed interacting with you. So I'm happy to have you here. Thank you. And likewise, likewise, I, if I had my phone right now, what I, what I would do and what I thought about doing with the show, but my phone is that camera right there. Um, you, if you don't follow Chris on Twitter, you have like brilliant tweets. One of the ones that stands out to me just before, I mean, I don't really have a plan for today, so this will maybe just jump us into a, a deep, interesting conversation. One of the tweets you re recently had was, uh, something to the effect about bud tenders and like, you're paying them this wage, but you, some people expect them to be like medical professionals. Totally. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think I said uh, people expect bud tenders to have um, 
the bedside manner of a nurse and uh, the sales competence of a sommelier um, and uh, the knowledge of a professor all for an average national wage of 1950 and that's a lot lower in a lot of places too which is not a livable is barely scratching the average livable wage for a single person with no dependents um, if they have any dependents or they're uh, two uh, more people in the household it's uh, by all means a subliving wage yeah yeah and uh, the reason it resonated with me is the, the compassionate use of medical cannabis program, that's what started medical cannabis in Illinois. And it was called the compassionate use program because it was limited to like a small list of very extreme debilitating conditions. Mm. And it was like, I don't know. I don't mean to say it was kind of hard to get a card, but like you had to know one of the pot doctors and there were only a few in the state at the time of, uh, you know, when it first came about. In fact, this one doctor who's asked to come on the show and maybe we'll have him on sometime, but uh, he at one point had registered more than half of the patients oh, in wow. the program. Um, and it was like, I could be wrong, but maybe like two or three years into the program. Mm. But anyways, you had to go to somebody like him who was willing to put his license on the line because he, be I mean, credit where credit is due. He believed, I guess everybody should have the access I guess my open critique of him is that he just charged so much more than any other pot doctor that I've dealt with in Illinois. Mm. Um, like pot doctor. Like he, he knew he was a pot doctor. So it just, that always kind of stuck with me. And I'm not afraid to like right. <laughs> talk about something like that. Sure. Um, yeah. They, but uh, uh... like, I, it's weird. I have to give him credit where credit is due because he like gave people that option to pay the premium. Um, I just hope that I guess if people weren't able to afford it, that he gave them those options too. Maybe to just be fair, maybe he did that. I don't know. Um, anyways, though, not to get into into that. Uh, what I was trying to talk about was the conditions, and for the most part, it was really hard to get a card. And meanwhile, the only person you would interface with is like somebody that was like my age that got their card, mm -hmm. um, you know, from one of those pot doctors because they wanted to work in a dispensary, and it was like. If you had your card, that was a surefire way to be like, I can speak on behalf of the product. I use the products. I can sell the products. You know, mm -hmm. it was a very easy pitch. So that's what a lot of bud tenders did at the onset, you know, that I personally encountered. Anyways, though, they were in this position, like you talk about, with people with debilitating conditions being wheeled in with uh, wheelchairs and oxygen tanks at times. Totally. Yeah. I used to get some very severe complicated medical histories when I was a bud tender in a medical dispensary, people asking me, what can you recommend for this condition? I'm like, I've never even heard of that condition, <laughs> let alone a, a particular strain of weed or an edible that can help with it. Um, and I think it's a great tool for a lot of people, but yeah, we're especially in medical states and early on, um, a lot of responsibility is placed on bud tenders, but they're not paid commensurate with that responsibility. Yeah. And they're not even tooled. That's the other part of your point. I feel mm -hmm. like is that they're not, they didn't just get out of fucking medical school. Right. And that's kind of like, it's like a double entendre of your point. If they would have gotten out of medical school, they would need more payment because they got to pay off those fucking bills. Right. <laughs> also in typical medical school, they wouldn't have gotten any medical uh, education about cannabis and, and its effects sure. on health. Um, it, the endocannabinoid system isn't taught. Um, I don't even think drug interactions with cannabis are taught. Um, like 
my dentist before they give me anesthesia or Novocaine doesn't think to ask, Hey, do you smoke weed? Um, but it's important to tell them that you do because you can take a lot more Novocaine uh, to get numb if you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting state of the, uh, state of affairs we're faced with right now. And, um, you know, I guess to the state of Illinois credit, we've got what some call decent wages for bud tenders, but it's not, what'd you say? Commensurate with the responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still not like, and by that, I mean like, I guess, so I don't know what the livable wage share is in Colorado, but it seems like you got to (laughs) make, like, I don't know if I could afford to live here, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, It varies by County. There are some counties where it's a little bit lower, but um, in Denver, it's uh, right about 1950. Again, it's single person, no dependents Mm -hmm. um, and goes up significantly if you have a child or another, a partner in the relationship that's not a working partner. Um, Up here where we're at in the mountains, it's a little bit higher. The cost of particularly housing and to some degree food is higher. Yeah. Okay. Well then given that it sounds like Illinois dispensary workers do make like, I guess a livable wage, but I probably does still doesn't trade like livable wage probably still doesn't translate to like surplus and abundance. Right. It's not, no, yeah. it's, it's enough to get by, um, keep a roof over your head, keep food in your stomach, um, have a little bit of money for entertainment, but it's not much. Uh, we use the MIT living wage calculator and that does a really good job of breaking down the components that go into a livable wage. That way you can really see that it's not just a made up number. This is what it costs. Mm-hmm. And, also, it's important to remember that like inflation is happening happening rapidly right now too. So even three or six month old numbers might not be valid today and could be higher. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Well, uh, I just brought up your Twitter uh, just once again, folks. I think it's like at Chris Honeybee. Um, I was just extending yep. our if you want to find him on social media conversations. So cool. um, I wanted to talk to you today. Again, I don't really have a plan, but I was just thinking maybe we could talk about the Colorado cannabis market. Um, I honestly, like, I know a little bit about it. It was a voter initiative. Can you give me like a high level of how we got to where we are today? And then maybe we can talk about what the market is like today. Are you able to do that? Um, You know, I'm not an expert on the evolution of Colorado's uh, laws. I moved here in 2020, so I'm not a longtime Colorado resident. And it was like 2012, right? 2012. Uh, medical was either 2010 or 2012, uh, adult use was 2014 Okay. The, mar- well, the market's been open since 2014. I think they might've passed that law before that. Yeah. Um, and initially, um, it was medical centers converting to adult use and by virtue, w- one interesting thing that I am pretty familiar with is that prior to 2018, um, there were residency requirements um, for the licenses and for where the money came from. And so you had a lot of small operators. Um, and from as a uh, kind of rollover from the medical days when centers were all virtually integ- uh, vertically integrated, sorry, um, you had a lot of small, um, so what you would call today craft operations, right? Three to 5,000 square foot grow and a dispensary and maybe a little BHO system to go along with it or a little hash washing system. Um, 
after 2018 when outside capital was allowed to come in now we have a lot of the multi-state operators um, i think the biggest company now owns 27 or 29 dispensaries um in what addition company is to that is it um live well, live uh, well. which is um pharmacan okay um, i was gonna guess like uh and then Starbuds is the other one that has uh, a competing number. Starbuds. Um, and they're Schwazi. So they're a, they're a regional MSO, essentially. They're big presence here and in New Mexico, and they've mm-hmm. franchised the dispensary into Illinois, Maryland, yeah. Jamaica. Right. Oh, yeah, and Jamaica. I forgot they mm-hmm. told us that. I was going to say we had one of the Starbuds people on. and Yeah. So I was going to guess, like, the green solution, though, live well, which I didn't even realize I should look at my box brown maps again. Uh, I didn't realize Live Well is under the umbrella of <laughs> Pharmacan. They so. are. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, Green Solution has a lot, um, but it's not. It, it's it's half as many. I think it's like twelve or thirteen. Green Dragons, another one. They have a dozen or so in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, at least two competitors with twice as many. And what'd you say the number of was Live Well? Like how many? I forget. It, it, if it's 27, 29, Livewell okay. might only be 24. Um, retail fronts. Retail storefronts, yeah. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Anyways, you were uh, we, we were talking about medical, uh, recreational, outside capital. MSOs came in. Um, uh, well, out, outside capital, including MSOs, came in. Um what else happened in 2018 or that, you know, the market's really been evolving since then, right? It's, Mm -hmm. it's gone away from the single location, vertically integrated shops. Now you have a lot more of these chains, um, and a lot more small chains popping up to five and seven store locations that are still doing acquisitions. Um, it allowed also outside capital to come into the grows too, and what you've seen happen here is not uncommon to happen in other states as well. Um, as the market price has gone down, there have been some people that have been able to continue operating while selling at cost or even at a loss, while others don't have as much of a runway to do that. So you're having a lot of smaller grows that aren't as well capitalized closing up. Um, sometimes bigger companies are acquiring their space. Sometimes they're just, um, the licenses are just, you know, going into, uh, inactive mode. Gotcha. Interesting. Now, um, is there a, uh, is there like a cap on the number of licenses that have been issued in Colorado or is, is it, there are local caps. So like in Denver, um, you can only now social equity, uh, businesses are allowed to open new licenses in Denver. Um, you can acquire an existing license that doesn't affect the cap. Obviously, um, there is no statewide cap, um, on any, any kind of license. Um, there is a group of growers in particular right now advocating for a cap on new grow licenses. Um, I don't think it would have much of an effect on the price of cannabis in Colorado. Uh, if it did, it would take a very long time to shake out. What is the group's name? I always think it's interesting to hear. Uh, so like in, it sounds like in Michigan, it was MCAI and Illinois, it's CBAI. It's these business associations. Is it the same in Colorado? Uh, 
there is a group in Colorado that's called the Marijuana Industry Group, but they're not necessarily behind this move okay. to cap licenses. It's a smaller group of growers um, that okay. have banded together to try to advocate for it. Gotcha. Do they like make a case? Like, is it an economic case for why? Pretty much or... economic. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah, they're they're not making money. They're going to go under. Um, or they say they're going to go under, and um, they don't want more competition. They, and I mean, there is a valid argument that there is more cannabis in the state than can be consumed in the state, um, and Colorado has lost. We have declining sales now. We uh, peaked at about, I think it was 2.1 billion, but now we're at like 1.7 and declining. Um, what was the peak again? I think it was 2.1 billion in uh, peak COVID. Um, prices were high and purchases were high. Sure. Um, but since Oklahoma and New Mexico have gone legal, um, people that used to come here all the time to stock up are not doing that anymore. <laughs> Michigan too. Michigan um, too. Uh, yeah. Michigan has a pretty good market. Like I, so I had to go get dialed in gummies and I told, I told somebody I was talking to, I was like, I'm not even buying these gummies for the effect, which they are effective. Like the most effective uh, edible that I've personally tried, like with a low dose, I prefer a higher dose. So it's remarkable to me when I take like maybe a few and they, I feel something, mm -hmm. you know, um, I just like how they taste. They have the best flavors. <laughs> I just like how they and taste. And the texture is great too. You have to understand, I have, I could have forewent them. I have plenty of edibles and the edibles I buy are 200 milligrams, six bucks a pop. Oh, wow. So, I mean like, you know, and these are a hundred milligrams, 20 bucks a pop where I went. They're usually up here. They're 30. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it was a little outrageous, but literally I only bought it because I, I I like the way they taste. <laughs> They're good. <laughs> so, um, anyways, I don't know how I got off onto that. We were talking about the, Oh, we were talking about the economics of, um, too much cannabis in Colorado. And I was saying, I go to Michigan and, um, you know, like you mentioned, other people may go to Oklahoma. I just recently learned, yeah, that you can pretty easily get like a temporary medical cannabis card in Oklahoma, mm. especially mm -hmm. if you have a medical cannabis card in Illinois, which is very easy to do nowadays. Uh, so credit again to the state of Illinois for at least try to give credit on the progress because people say I bitch a lot about the lot of what we haven't done. Um, people say I bitch a lot too, and and yeah, it's I, I give credit where credit is due, and I shout people out. It's just that the messages that travel in today's, especially media world, are the negative ones that get shared a lot further. Yeah, I'm curious. Just to the, to that point, one of the things I get flack for a lot is I I constantly say, and I even said it out there. You noticed I did legalize. I said we legalized weed in air mm -hmm. quotes. I have an issue with like one of my main issues with limited licenses. It's funny. A lot of people think have asked me like, it's because you want to get in the market and grow weed. Right. And it's like, no, I have no aspiration to be in the cannabis market. I literally don't. I like, I've thought about it as a kid, like, Oh, I want to be a bun tender or whatever. Quickly got over that dream. Cause I realized what it was. Right. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is my issue with limited licenses, it's not so much that I want to get into business and I can't, that's an issue still I'm not saying that's not an issue. Like if somebody wants to get in, I think they should, but 
My issue is how we enforce those license limitations. So, and it's all based on like perceived intent or like implied content. So just to give you an example, the possession limit is 30 grams in Illinois. If you don't have a cannabis card and if you're a resident, fun fact. So if you come to Illinois and you have 30 grams, you will get the book thrown at you just like before because your possession limit as an out of stater is 15 grams. Chris. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I it's definitely have more everything. than that on me. So that's right. Uh, Every, why wouldn't you? And most people just think like an ounce is legal in most states, right? That's like kind of the metric it feels like. Mm-hmm. I mean, some states have gone a little bit further and fuck yeah, right? I don't right. think there should be any possession limit. But um, generally speaking, people off the hip think, oh, I could have an ounce. I'm going to buy an ounce. Mm-hmm. I want to take an ounce home, whatever. And then you get fucking caught. Anyways, though, that's Illinois. So my issue, it's kind of related to what I just brought up. The way we enforce these license limitations is kind of through consent. So whether or not I actually am selling weed. So like, again, there is a case for the people that want to sell weed. But if I'm just traveling with like that jar and I didn't have a medical cannabis card um, or like just like one of my harvests that you get from a medical cannabis card. Let's just pretend I don't have one. If I got caught with that and the reason I'm saying I pretend I don't have one is because the medical cannabis card does give me a little bit higher of a possession limit. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm taking this out of the equation. If you just have a little bit larger sum of cannabis, they could say you're trafficking. Right. And it's, it's just, or illegally transporting cannabis. Um, and they would throw the book at you just like before you'd get, uh, you're looking at like one to three years in prison, felony time, mm. I think a maximum of $2,500 in fees. Google it folks. If you want to see the complete list, Illinois normal has a really good and comprehensive list. And it's very important. You know, those numbers because the book gets thrown at you just like you did before. Um, my issue to wrap up my point and to turn it back to you. And I have a question about how Colorado does it. My issue is that we are enforcing cannabis and regulating cannabis using the exact same system that we apparently legalized cannabis for. Mm -hmm. Am I saying, I have been having trouble saying this lately. So it's like, I guess the way I put it to an elected representative who freaking like wrote this system into law, basically I said, I said, so there's a transportation lawsuit going on right now. And the lawsuit is basically like these people transported cannabis illegally. They were uh, provisional licensees. They didn't have their official license yet. So we want fines to be issued. I believe that's basically what the litigants are looking for. They were on my podcast. So if I said it wrong, go back and watch that episode and you can read the whole lawsuit and everything. Um, But that's what I remember them saying is they just want the fines to be issued because those people should not have done that because they weren't properly licensed. Let's say I did that or I did that because again, it's kind of consent. It's all a a police officer. What's it in discretion? That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. They can like be like, Oh, he he's got enough cannabis to sell. He's trafficking. Right. I, I totally understand what you're saying. There was a company in Maryland that, um, went to the state and said, hey, state, we're going to grow an acre of weed outside. They were licensed to grow weed inside. The state said, well, you're not licensed to do that, and you need this, that, and the other before we're going to let you do that. They didn't do this, that, and the other. They grew their acre of weed outside, and the state came along, and I think they got a little fine, and that was the only consequence they got. Meanwhile, if I grew an acre of weed in Maryland, I'm going to prison for a long time. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's a total discretion thing. Thank you. You you just wrapped up the point I was trying to make, and that's exactly what I asked him. And unfortunately, he got what I was trying to say. He seemed to get what I was trying to say. Sometimes I worry about that with lawmakers, like whether or not they truly understand like what they're legislating and regulating. But I I asked him. I put him in the the place like the Socratic method or whatever, which I'm trying to get better at, not very good at. Um, but I asked him, you know, like, okay, these people would get fines. What if I did that? And he's like okay, I see your point. Mm -hmm. You know, I like, I felt that I felt like he saw my point and saying like, I guess the shorter, the shorter way and more, more precise way of putting it is that the cannabis control act, which is an Illinois specific thing. It was established in 1978 and it established a graduated set of penalties based on the amount of cannabis you had. This is where I say implied consent. Okay. I'm editing this podcast right now, and I realized I have said implied consent several times. This is not what I intended to say. I intended to say implied intent. In other words, law enforcement, they're implying what your intentions are. They're not implying your consent. Uh, I hope this is the last time I've said it, but I know I've already said it a few times now, so I wanted to put this in here so that you knew what I was trying to say. Implied intent. Enjoy the rest of the show. Based on the conc the amounts you have. You have too much. It's like, bitch, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, when I go, like, like, if we were having a cookout or whatever, or I bet you if we checked your fridge, like, maybe you have 24 beers in there. But maybe you have like a another like twenty four pack and like there's no limit, that, right. you know what I mean? So you can go to the liquor store and buy enough liquor to kill everybody on your block, mm -hmm. but you can't buy more than an ounce of weed at a time. Right. And and to your point, they've got graduated sentencing for larger amounts that um, there's no relation to the actual danger involved. That's a really good way of putting it. I didn't think it, yeah, the danger it would cause to society is not even taken into account. Like when you paint that contrast with alcohol, you could literally kill a village, you right. know? Um, that's interesting. Um, but yeah. It's I, like Johnny Depp and Blow. He's like, Your Honor, what did I really do? I crossed an imaginary line with a plant. And the judge's response is like, Well, sir, there's a law against doing that. And so here's your prison sentence. Like, the, the, it, my problem with the legalization to your air quotes in cannabis is, uh, is the fairness. Um, it's, uh, both the implementation of the legalization and of the commerce hand, the giving out of licenses has not been fair in most jurisdictions. Um, and then on top of it, there is no fairness in locking people up for a plant, um, a non-dangerous plant. Um, it's, it's absurd to me. Yeah, and I you you kind of made me realize that it's like we almost moved the line. So it used to be that the line was, in the case of the state of Illinois or any other state, but I'm just using ours because it's what I'm familiar with, the Cannabis Control Act would dictate what would happen if you crossed the lines known as Illinois. Now we've moved the lines to be possession limit, right? So if you cross that line, mm -hmm. we're still going to get you. That's interesting. I never really thought about it that way but yeah you get where i'm coming from and i guess what i was going to ask you i feel like i've made my point uh, what i was going to ask you is 
because I was thinking about it last night. I was like, I wonder if they throw the, if they do that in Colorado. But then I was thinking about it. They've got the med, the marijuana enforcement division. So like, do they do that or do the police do that? Or are they one and the same? Um, Med regulates licensed businesses in Colorado and then the police enforce laws against, um, you know, traditional market essentially. Gotcha. So, okay. So yeah, it's not like a med officer has like a gun. <laughs> um, I don't think that they do. Yeah. No. Although, um, I do think that there are some states that have armed enforcement officers. I think Maryland wrote their legalization law to let the, uh, the, it's not the medical cannabis commission anymore. It's just the Maryland cannabis commission, I think, or, or administration. Um, but I think they have armed officers. I think OCM in New York has armed officers, actually, too. What does OCM stand for? I hear Office people say of that. Cannabis Management. Thank you. Cool. It seems like you know about New York, so maybe you can tell us about that. But just to keep on Colorado, keep on Colorado for a little bit, you would be able to maybe talk, tell me about like because I don't know like I, I people I, talk about good things and stuff. So I want to like I've only read the good tweets. I've not looked cool. at the policy and stuff. You know what I mean? I follow the developments in New York. I'm very supportive of uh, the policy experiment that they're running there, prioritizing. Uh, giving first mover advantage to people that were harmed by the war on drugs um, and the farmers that have uh, particularly hemp farmers that um, are many in financial distress and a lot of them trying to save legitimate farm operations with a new revenue source. Yeah. Um, So I'm very supportive of giving that crucial first mover advantage to those groups. Um, and I do follow along with the laws there, so happy to talk about it um, to the extent that I am familiar. Yeah. Sure. Sweet. Well, cool. We'll get back to that. But, uh, yeah, so anyways, you kind of get where I'm coming from. What, is, what do you, From your perspective, are there is there still a lot of um, black market activity? or you know, I don't like to necessarily call it that, but that's what hits the headlines, right? Um, do, is there still a lot of, like, crackdowns here in Colorado? Um. No, I haven't seen news even about a big grow house getting shut down. And I was in literally going to invoke my friend Jordan Davidson and ask, uh, you know, Jordan uh, from Sam from Smart Sam. Approaches to Marijuana. Um, he likes to talk about the people, the the cartel that comes and uh, buys up the houses here. I was going to ask if that's still going on. No, there are a lot of things in both the licensed and the traditional markets. <clears throat> That only makes sense when weed is $3,000 a pound <clears throat> and don't make any sense at all when weed is $750 a pound. What do you mean by that? Even growing indoors in, in, in um, ur- urban areas, essentially. Uh, dense urban areas with uh, high cost of square, per square foot, either of residential or commercial property. Mm-hmm. You can't make money growing indoors um, at $750 a pound uh, without a scaled operation or anywhere near a popular city. Um, You really need to move like any other agricultural commodity Mm -hmm. to lower cost of production areas um, that have lower real estate costs as well. Gotcha. Um, So, so that are you basically saying by that logic, it wouldn't make sense to do that. Like do it those... doesn't make sense to, to, um, set up these 
illicit grow houses anymore. Because um, you got to pay a fucking mortgage. And... Right. Yeah. Like you can't. You just can't make enough money and the doing power. It. And yeah. Shit. It's the the cost benefit analysis is no longer in favor of fuck it, do it. Um, but maybe there was a time. Was there a time? like where it was like people were doing that they were buying more mortgages on houses and stuff like is yeah that, is there sure. any talk like, truth to that talking point i guess is what i'm asking um were their houses converted into grow houses sure absolutely yeah i do um was it cartels um i'm sure there was some organized criminal element to it um i don't think it's anywhere nearly as pervasive as people make it sound um same as in Southern Oregon, um, I am familiar with some cartel-type operations that were uh, supposed to be hemp farms that were just growing weed, yeah. um, and they were doing awful things to the environment and human rights violations, forced labor, um, threats of violence, and on occasions, actual violence. So I'm not going to say that that stuff doesn't happen, um, but I think it gets a lot more attention um than the benefits <laughs> of cannabis right right um and of the reduced costs of not enforcing prohibition yes um so there there's but yeah i won't deny that it does happen sometimes but but not again not as much with a lower cost of cannabis um yeah. it's another reason in my book for to encourage legalization you want the criminal element out of it Cool. You want this rapid commodification, um, and the the thing that the regulatory capture folks don't get is that like, if you keep those prohibition era profits high, you're gonna have that much harder of a time keeping this unlicensed element that they complain about out because the risk is worth the reward. Yeah. Right. If yes. It, <laughs> yes. It's uh. Thank you. It, yeah. It, n- nobody is growing tomatoes in their garden and setting up an unlicensed farm (laughs) stand outside because it's not worth it right but it it, it's so the more it commodifies the less people will be inclined to engage in that kind of stuff that is interesting yeah it reminds me of something that yeah david beanenstock said which is yeah home grow is is kind of the key to allowing for home grow is the key to decommodifying cannabis you know one of the principle foundations you know what i mean um and like you say it would literally like let me just put it this way i still know legacy operators in the state of illinois and like some of them are friends some aren't like you know what i mean they're just like it's a transaction you know they're a a good business person Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're an aspiring young entrepreneur that's unable to get a license uh they literally, you know, what I guess I'm trying to say is I might get a cut or maybe somebody's watching, they might get a cut, but they're honest with me in saying that the way they set their prices for people that they like don't know, know, is they like look online, what's Sunnyside, Cresco's store charging, what's, you know, what, what, cause they're all charging the same in Illinois, by the way. Mm. It's not like you're going to like, like there's this one place you go to, like it, it's weird in Denver. I actually, you know, it's funny as I saw a a place outside of Denver that literally had a sign that said Denver pricing. 
there's a few a few county lines that have similar sign a dispensary right on the county line yeah. and they try to tell you how much more tax you're going to pay if you don't stop here and <laughs> and buy mm. your weed here yeah um yeah that's funny yeah it's it's interesting how it, especially in the limited license markets how these groups kind of bully each other into keeping prices high um because if you listen to earnings calls and things like that, you'll find that like they do have inventory. So it's not necessarily like that demand is outpacing supply. They oh, are yeah. artificially inflating the prices. Mm-hmm. Um, in Maryland, uh, in the early days of the medical market, Cureleaf bought a dispensary and they launched with $35 eights while everybody else was selling like 50 and $60 eights. And, Nobody ever said what happened to it, but I suspect that they just quickly got bullied by the trade association. Like, hey, raise your prices. Yeah, this what are you what, doing? We're not going to keep keep working with you and sell to you um, if you don't, you know, get with the program. Wow. Um, and when the when there is, you know, a small number of vendors in a place, that kind of thing can be compelling. Yeah, but I think you you already made the point, but uh, like. I was basically just saying like your dealers will look at the menu and set their prices off of that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So to your point, to your other point, that reward is there. They'll be like, okay, an ounce is two seventy five. I'll sell it for two fifty and say, Hey, you want to go to the dispensary? Go pay your 15 more bucks plus tax. Right. You know? Yeah. Colorado is one of the cheaper States in the country in terms of legal cannabis. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was a report by Leafly, uh, co-authored by Whitney Economics, that suggests Colorado's got like 95 or 97 percent legal market participation. Um, Oregon and a few other states with very cheap weed had similar numbers. Um, direct correlations with both lower pricing and number of stores per capita, um, potentially more correlation with the number of stores per capita, but supply obviously has to keep up. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you, if you saw my gears turning, I don't know that there is a par- industry participation study in Illinois. That'd be interesting to see those numbers, see how many people are participating versus not, which of course the not is really hard to get an answer on. It always has been like, how do you, because it's, it's under, I don't know how they were making those estimates. I I don't remember that part of the study. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, still it'd be interesting to see something like that, Mm -hmm. you know, in in Illinois, it's cool to hear they've done that in other States. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, industry participation is at a good, is, is at 95% based on the last numbers you've seen. So to kind of wrap up, I guess, Colorado and, and, I mean, I don't mean to forcibly wrap it up, but you were saying that things have been changing since 2018. And so it's like, here we are. What's what's going on today? And what's it like to be a cannabis operator in the state of Colorado? You know, I think a lot of it depends on the timing that you got into the industry and what your assumptions were when you made your investment. Um, I'll say from our perspective as a brand, um, the market is pretty saturated in a lot of SKUs, um, but we're having 
a pretty good time of uh, growing the business. A, because we're a brand new business, so we can really only grow, right? I mean, when you're going from zero stores uh, a year and two months ago um, to I think we're in 27 stores now, um, that's pretty good. But um, we also had assumed um, that we could sell um, packaged flour at the same rate. Actually, we thought we would outsell packaged flour over our pre-rolls. Um, that particular skew, for a couple of reasons, has not performed um, to our expectations. Your packaged flour. Packaged flour. Um, it's not a very popular format in Colorado. Um, one, because there's a lot of deli-style uh, cannabis to choose from. Um, two, because people aren't used to buying it like that here. The regs don't require it. So that also leads to um, three, which actually is probably number one. It's the one skew that dispensaries can get better than the typical 100% markup on. Um, so they're going to continue to package in-house as long as they can get a better markup than, yeah. than the typical packaged flour. Um, and, and that makes sense economically. So it's, it's not that consumers don't like it. It's that dispensary buyers don't like it. Um, like people who frequent no the people that buy the weed for dispensaries oh okay yeah Understood. so the person responsible for making sure their store makes a profit is going to go with the most profitable thing they can buy yeah it's the job yeah that's exa- <laughs> exactly right it's, it's I, I don't fault them for it in any way um but that was an assumption that we made that was incorrect um sure. that we had projected sales on so it uh, uh, that that's our experience again it's timing and assumptions um and I think you'd get a very similar response from a lot of operators. Um, people that have been in it for a long time, they used to get four times as much profit as they do now, right? So they're way less enthusiastic, looking to sell. Um, and you are seeing some consolidation happening where there's still a lot of people that want to be in the business. Um, yeah. So weed is, is, sorry if this is a generalization, but it's four times cheaper. Is that, am I, did I say that right back to you? You said they were making four times if you'd been yeah, in it long. Yeah, yeah. If you, I think if you looked back at 2018, people were probably getting three thirty-two a pound, um, and now they're getting seven. Uh, at last last um, average from the Med, I think, was six ninety-eight. So they're getting sub seven hundred dollars a pound. So it's almost four times. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that changes things. Changes a lot of people's motivations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then to the point about um, growing indoors uh, at the same time that the price has gone down, the price of property in a lot of places in Colorado has drastically appreciated. Um, So commercial space, the price might have doubled in the past five years. Um, And if your landlord raises your rent that much and your (laughs) revenue is going down that much, it's easy to say why, like, see why. Um, I even had a friend recently let his license in Denver go. Um, he couldn't even find a buyer for the license because partly because it was attached to property in Denver. Um, and at today's prices, that's actually toxic because you couldn't grow indoors and make money. You can barely break even. Yeah, B scares. That scares B just thinking about it. I don't know if the mic picked that up, but. 
barely breaking even that's a terrifying thought i think it's more about the growing indoors that she's terrified about yeah that's confirmation yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. she does not like growing not indoors. a fan of growing indoors no yeah and we should talk about that too i'll, I'll write that down I, I like the conversation we were having about out there just about energy and maybe you can cool re- yeah, happy to bring that those. back yeah um but um yeah anyways sorry i didn't mean to interrupt uh and and be interrupted i guess too but i vocalized it um you were talking about the state of the market today growing indoors is not profitable that person that uh got the property in denver but couldn't get rid of it yeah um so market's changing it is consolidating um people aren't really buying grows because i think that the state probably doesn't need as many grows doesn't it doesn't need as many as much square feet as we have yeah um the more spread out that square footage is in my opinion the better but do you know sorry to keep interjecting with questions but it's just so interesting what the square footage is approximately i don't know i figured it's hard to know no um the state keeps and publishes um a tally of the licenses but they don't keep a number and publish the square footage of the canopy in the state is there a limit um each grow is there, there's a tier license tier oh, okay. for your license it starts at um and it's actually not square footage it's plant count um there's 1800 square plant count license um 3200 plant count license or 3400 sorry um and then a uh one above that i think a 5000 um but it's it's not tied to square footage, so if you can spread that canopy out, I, I I saw I went into a place one time that had a forty thousand square foot grow operation, but they were only licensed for eighteen hundred plants, and so they were growing the plants like six feet tall, <laughs> and so spread out, and they were watering them all the time. Uh, I I could find the photo, but yeah, I was standing next to one of them, and it's just like you, it's not a normal way to grow weed, but they were maximizing their canopy. <laughs> If you can remember to send me that photo, I can try to text you about it. If you if you're able to share that, yeah, that would be cool to be able to cut that into the podcast. Yeah, um, no problem. Uh, but anyways, we were again talking about the state of the market now. Sorry to interject with all these. Uh, anyway, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's uh, there's a lot of nuance to to quote unquote legal cannabis, right? Um, So, you know, as a business, we're growing. We're also working with a couple of other new businesses that um, are in growth mode. Uh, One is the first uh, black woman-owned processor in Denver. Um, They're uh, one of the first awardees of Denver's social equity licensing program. Um, And we're also working with a woman who has a... um, uh, edibles company as well um, and so now we have a portfolio of products um, we have pre-rolls we have edibles we have concentrates um, and that helps us be more competitive and and just more attractive to work with uh, for those dispensary buyers I was talking about earlier they have they have hundreds or thousands of products in their store and they don't want to have to call a different person to buy each one of them. Um, so that's 
a tough thing for a small business to overcome. So we solved it by getting more products for us to advertise. And that helps these other companies that we're working with too, that um, really if you're a small, a small enough company, you don't have enough revenue to support a full-time sales person yourself, um, especially in the first year as you're trying to grow. So um, hopefully we're adding significant value to their operations as well. Hell yeah. Um, and you guys, you said, uh, I don't mean to take, correct me if I'm wrong. Are you only available at like independent shops or like what's, um, no, we're, um, available uh, at a lot of independent shops and, and unlike a lot of businesses right now, we sell about 56% to single store locations. Uh, but we are available at a number of, uh, multi-store locations. Um, the trees franchise roots RX, um, are the, the two bigger ones. Uh, those are five to seven store, uh, chains, um, and some two store locations like, uh, uh, police and thieves, um, is one of them. Nice. Very cool. Um, I think the only thing maybe that, again, correct me if I'm wrong, that you are particular about, you said this out there, uh, but we're high as fuck right now. So if I'm, uh, not remembering correctly, you are particular about sun-grown cannabis. Yep, all of our product is um, sun-grown. Um, right now we're working with an outdoor grower in Boulder, a woman-owned grow in Boulder that has about a half acre. Um, great view. You can see the flat irons from the spot um, and just beautiful weed. It's a great microclimate um, being above 5,000 feet up in Boulder. Um, good weather. Um and then they've got a great facility to, to dry and cure in. It's actually a converted 1950s schoolhouse. Um, and it very much has that feel where like each person's office is, you know, a, a small classroom and um, uh, the rolling joints in, in a classroom with a great view. So it's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Well, um, we'll get back to why uh, you prefer sun grown in our eco, eco, eco uh, whatever in our eco conversation, cool. you know, being eco-friendly or whatever. But um, uh, just any more notes on being an operator in Colorado? And I guess this, I'm just kind of not even asking, you know, it's cool really to hear it from like your individual perspective. But I guess uh, as a, an industry, as a collective, um, not in the sense of honeybee collective, but yeah, do you get, what are the perspectives you're feeling, uh, I guess, about the market in Colorado, if, if anything? Um, I mean, I, we're excited to be in business here and be bringing our products to market and our values to the market um, because we felt like they were missing not just here but across the industry uh, countrywide. Um, there's not enough focus on workers uh, being protected and having um, livable wages and exposure to this supposed uh, once-in-a-lifetime wealth creation opportunity. Um, whether that opportunity is as big as people have portrayed it is a different conversation, right? Um, and, and really a political non-reality until um, the uh, punitive taxation situation changes. Um, so because of that, 
we're excited to be bringing our values. Um, we recognize that the market is a tough one to be in, um, both for us and for a lot of operators. I think you're going to continue to see a lot of consolidation happening. Um, and some, some licenses like my friends just kind of going into the wind. Um, because maybe too many people rushed in seeing dollar signs. Um, but yeah, we're, we're excited to be here. Um, and overall enthusiastic. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Um, I was going to ask you just like, in I guess with your experience in Colorado and, um, everything else and I'm rolling you a joint by the way. Oh, thanks. So Sweet. Okay. yeah, yeah. It's the, Great. uh, Georgia pie from cool. Eclipse. I thought it smelled really good, and I Great. got it last time, and it was pretty good. Could so. I see that? Let yeah, absolutely. Recognize the grower. Absolutely. Um, what do you think about vertical integration? And I personally, if you were to ask me that question, I would say because of my knowledge of Shaleen Title's proposals, of whom, of which, and whom I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. I would say we must prevent vertical integration because it's something that can lead to a monopoly. Um, it is interesting though, in my experience and consider it anecdotal, uh, the, there's a Michigan operator I go to and, uh, it's like a, it's, I feel good going there because it's like small shop, veteran owned operated, something you can't really do in Illinois. And, I I didn't ask them. It's actually my friend. He so I'm kind of telling this second hand or third hand, whatever is accurate. Um, he was asking him like, "How do you, as a small shop?" And I kind of wondered this, uh, but how do you, as a small shop, compete with all these other people that are bringing the prices down? And they had their grow on site, and that's kind of like how they were doing it. So like. Again, in the back of my mind, knowing that vertical integration is something that has been identified that can lead to monopoly. Like, just generally speaking, do you get the economic sense of? Does that make economic um, sense? I guess. I am not bullish on vertical integration, mostly because of the economics. I think it requires that the management team be experts in manufacturing agriculture, manufacturing, distribution, and retail. And those are all distinctly different disciplines um, and and branding if you want to um, grow brands and, and really be competitive in the market. So five distinct disciplines that um, I don't think you get in a lot of single-person executives or even well-funded teams. It's just hard to find that. Um, I think it made sense. It's one, again, one of those things that made sense when the price of weed was $3,200 and distillate was $10,000 a kilo. Um, you, it was very attractive to own businesses that even if you kind of sucked at it, had hundred to 300% margins. Um, you do not need to be a seasoned, business person to be successful when your margins are that high in, in any business really. Um, but you do need to be very disciplined as a business person in each area of business that you're in when gross margins are 60 to 70 or even less percent. Um, cash flows get a lot tighter. 
um, and especially with punitive taxes like in cannabis, it's really not not the move. You, you need to be a specialist and getting as much value as you can out of whatever you're doing um, before you move into, I think, other areas, given today's prices and, and the economics of growing and manufacturing cannabis products. Yeah. Um, and that's on top of the arguments against vertical integration from a consolidation and market control perspective. Um, I do think it's smart what New York is doing and what Washington has done in, in setting up a two-tier system um, that disallows manufacturers from owning retail. Um, you can get a lot of control over branding and distribution if you own manufacturing and retail that you have to be competitive to earn um if you don't own the retail yeah yeah thank you for this yeah yeah and i was gonna say just uh the tip's a little loose so if you need to tighten it or whatever uh cool. just be mindful of that thanks um but uh yeah i feel like we've touched all bases on colorado and go I think this is from Bubba's Kush, which is a brand that uses a dog very similar to B as their logo. And so I like that. I haven't tried their weed yet, though. So. Nice. Well, here we go. It, uh, the first drag was good. Nice. Smells great. I yeah. Smell, yeah. That's what's smell the gas from over here. That's what sold me on it, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I was like, okay, here we go. Um, that's the thing. Now that there is a state like Michigan near Illinois, and, and I do grow my own, like, it's funny in the past when I would come here, I, I would feel so pressured to like, I got to buy as much as I can. Uh, just funny. Another way that the state is like encouraging just like alternative, let's call it alternative behavior. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, like you're not allowed to advertise it, but everybody knew it was going on for so long. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but, but now that, you know, cannabis is a little bit more readily available i'm less likely to engage in such an extreme act of federal interstate trafficking sure you know what i mean because yeah. i don't need uh, you know change it changes the game when it's when you know you can get what you need when you get there yeah so any bases we didn't cover on colorado that you felt would be pertinent to to i guess maybe what the future looks like or something just before we close this uh future yeah i mean i i think it um it looks like probably more consolidation, but right. hopefully um, the the sort of um, status of Colorado as a pioneer in cannabis um, will keep earning some of the brands that have come from here, national reputations. You've got companies like Chiba Chu that are now in a lot of markets that started here, a um, bunch of other companies that got their starts here. Um there is something to be said about that name recognition, like Starbuds, for example, Chiba Chu. Um, those are brands that I had seen in my first few trips to Colorado. So that's why when I saw Starbuds pop up, I was like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. familiar, you yep. know? And for certain people that maybe went on vacation back in the day or whatever, that could win them over. Like, holy fuck, there's a Starbucks. I went to a Starbucks in Colorado back in the day. It totally does. I yeah. Mean, yeah. It's, as long as you have a good experience with it, your first time, you're, you're going to sure. hold that uh, in very high regard. Yeah, absolutely. I would get, I would get people uh, buying both Wana and wild when I worked at the dispensary for that reason. They're like, Oh yeah, we, I've seen that before. Give me that. 
Right. Wasn't any more nuance than that. Wasn't anything about the product qualities or what it could do. It was not the design. It was just unfamiliar. So there's something to be said about that, dude. Like, forget, forgive me for the tangent, but this, you just, I feel like this is deep. Maybe it's not. Maybe we're just stoned. Yeah. But for example, Bean like, be the judge of that. I just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bean will growl or do whatever if, if, yeah, sure. If this is a high idea, <laughs> growl. Yeah. So, um, just to give you an example of branding, I've got this like nail manicure kit that I bought a while ago. And the only reason I bought it is because I was like looking at the brand and I was like, and I can't think of it right now, but if I saw it, it'd be familiar. Like literally I can't think about it. And it's a problem because I'd like, I just lost that kit and I wanted to buy more online, but I can't think of the fucking brand. And I look up like top brands. It ain't popping up. It's a bunch of fucking like targeted bullshit people that paid for the, and like maybe they're great. I don't know. I just want the goddamn brand <laughs> that I grew up using. That's mm-hmm. that's why I got it because it used to be my parents' house, and I just recognized the brand. I'm like, oh, those are good. I know how. I know like how they work. They're good. And there's something to be said about that. That's all I have for you. That's the extent of the high, high idea. But like, that's a powerful example. And you just gave a few others with cannabis. Like, I feel like the consumer is very simple-minded. Like, have I had an experience with this in the past? Was it good? Okay. I, I think I wouldn't. I don't, I don't know. Mean to say simple-minded. Simple. Yeah. I'm like. I'm like. Let me disagree on record with that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe not consumers like you or I. How about that? I, well, I, I think there's a problem in the weed industry with operators assuming that all consumers are like them, mm. and that's not the case. I don't think the average piece of person that smokes weed wants to know as much about weed as you or I might, or wants to know as much about weed policy as you or I might, right? Um, right. They want it, They want access. They don't want it to be cheap, but they do want it to be affordable, mm-hmm. and they want the quality to be good and consistent. They don't want it to be their lifestyle. They just It's a part of their lives that they want to incorporate in a very normal way. Just like we're sitting here smoking joints, and it's not the focus. We're not talking about the weed. We're not. It's like giving t- crazy, heady tasting Whoa. notes and like ta- or describing the high. It's just something that's going on while we're having this other discussion or going about our lives, right? Um. So, it's not a high idea uh, to suppose that branding that makes doing less thinking easier is going to work for people because that's true across the board for all products. Um, so uh, I am bullish on companies that can brand their products well. What do you cannabis. mean when you say by that, by the way? Because I used that term in a video that I made recently, and I'm pretty sure I used it incorrectly. So I obviously don't know what the fuck it means. <laughs> to, to, to what brand brand products? Or? Bullish and bearish, bullish. like in, in oh. the context of what you're saying. Like, what uh, do you mean by that? Uh, bullish meaning um, feel good about it. Feel like okay. it's got a positive. Some people future. are rolling their eyes like Jesus Christ, Cole. But I got no. It's ask, cool. You know? no, it's uh, um, yeah. So I so I so I feel good and and feel strongly that like companies that can brand their products well will do well in the space. And I don't mean what has historically meant branding products where you make every product under the sun and you put your logo on it. 
Um, whether that's a celebrity's face logo or whether that's your company logo, I don't think that's the way. I mean, even if you look at our product, I'll show your viewers. The name of the product is far bigger than the, than our logo is. Our logo is not the focus point of that product. It's the feeling that uh, the product is meant to give you um, or the, the mood that we're going for. So um, I think that effects-based marketing, um, flavor-based marketing, um, occasion-based marketing um, are going to have a strong future. Um, people will come to recognize the brand like we were talking about earlier and just say, I just want that. And as long as that brand keeps giving them a consistent, good experience, it doesn't have to be out of this world. It just has to be what they were expecting when they bought the product. Um, yeah. I think, I think those companies will do well. Very interesting to think about. And when I, when I think when you said experience based, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. Obviously, like I've seen the ads where it's like you're hiking and you take out your vape and it enhances your hike. Oh, my bad on that. No, um, it, uh, but I'm thinking the first thing that came to my mind was like beverages and weddings. Like, I feel like it's still like an untapped, I don't know. The best beverage I guess I've had is the, is the dial dialed in like Suve thing where I can mix in. I've not tried a lot of cannabis beverages, though, with that said. So I'm not, like, one to be talking about. Air, Heirloom in New York uh, had some great flavors. Um, here in Colorado, I don't know if they're still around because I don't see them anymore, but there's a company called Ojai that makes seltzers, and they're really good. The guys were, like, in beer distribution before, so they know how to make a canned beverage really well. Um, but they have great seltzer flavors. And then... Saria, the beer company, they make a non-alcoholic beer and they also make a THC-infused non-alcoholic beer. Two of them, a Grain Wave and an Indie Wave, both very good. Um, those are my favorite beverages. And where, where have you seen those products available? Colorado. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, uh, except for Heirloom is is in New York dispensaries. Gotcha. I'll have to look out for that, the non-alcoholic beer thing. That sounds really cool. It's great. It's like... <sighs> What was the brand name again? Seria, C-E-R-I-A. C-E-R-I-A. I I might have to text you about that too. Cool. Um, Yeah, I've got, uh, you know, somebody in my life that is a recovering alcoholic. They love (laughs) non-alcoholic beer. They're great. And and they also love cannabis. And so I would love to. Yeah, just put Seria and Weed Maps, see see what comes up and... They're not the cheapest, but they're worth it. I mean, it's five bucks a pop for like five or ten milligrams, depending on the product. Sweet. Um. So there's also um, Ripple, which is dissolvable THC powder. Unlike the the dialed in is great, but it's got sugar in it. So if you put it in a non-alcoholic beer, you're gonna tell. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's really sweet. <laughs> oh, and I got to try a California product the other day called quick drops. Um, that was pretty good. How is that a drink thing? Um, They're a a drop that you can put in any drink. Wow. And And it's like mix as well. (coughs) And I mean like what I mean by that is I've made drinks and sometimes if the cup is like plastic, the, and it's like stick to it. Yeah. Yeah. It'll come out. 
So like um, the this the quick drops mixed after a, a, a swirl when it when it dropped it in you could definitely see like it was not um, it, it was a different consistency. Um, the powders I'd say probably work the best. Um, and actually we're the, uh, company that we're working with, uh, for edibles called short and stoned. They have a dissolvable solventless powder. Mm. Um, so it's a rosin based instead of distillate based. Um, so that's something that you might want to check out as well. Oh yeah. Super cool. There's some ideas if you're going on vacation in Colorado or the other states we've mentioned. So, um, what was I? Oh yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about, I guess, before we do close Colorado and move on to New York and maybe even other cannabis markets that you might be aware of that are popping out. Cause Minnesota's looks cool. I'm sure you know about that. Yeah. I haven't so maybe you can dug into the regulations as much as I'd like to, but I like what I've seen so far. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about what we know about that, but, um, what does social equity mean in, in, uh, Denver or in Colorado? Um, and just the, the root of that question is it seems like social equity in Illinois means I finally figured this out. People are saying it much more clearly than they were in the past. Social equity is market share and it's tied in with limited licensing. That's what it is in Illinois, but it's not that in other places. I get the sense like New York, for example. Um, it doesn't seem like it's paired with strictly limiting the number of licenses to a small number of people to keep it artificially high. I don't get the sense that that's the case. So what is, maybe we can talk about New York in a second too, but what is social equity and as like, how do you qualify for it and what it, you know what I mean? In Colorado, it, um, means that you were impacted by the war on drugs and they went with a pretty broad definition, which includes anybody who even had a relative that was arrested for weed charges uh, and I, th- I don't know if the arrest was enough or if the charges had to stick, but um, it doesn't even have to have been yourself, right? Um, which, I mean, there's a lot of people who were affected by a parent, right. you know, being, right. being I think incarcerated. That makes sense. So it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so that that that's the the qualification in Colorado. Um, there's. There's no like area component, like if you, because that's another thing in Illinois, like if you grew up in this area, which is defined as being disproportionately impacted, then you qualify. Um, you know, I've never looked at the the social equity application, but to my knowledge, I don't think Colorado includes areas, um, like Maryland includes areas for their, um, it's economically impacted, right? And if you were from certain zip codes, uh, I believe it's zip code based and lived there for X number of years prior right. to legalization. Right. Um, then you qualify. All these broad definitions are meant to keep these laws from being challenged in court. Um, if you make the definition of social equity too narrow, um, it opens it up to potential legal challenges. Mm. Um, and for both for profit motive and for like, culture war motive there are people that are willing to take these legal battles on um to fight equity proposals and in not just in cannabis it's happening in other areas education and all kinds of stuff right construction 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard of it yeah, in, in many different contexts. Um, yeah, it's interesting. The, the definite, like, I don't mean to ask you what the definition of social equity is, because if you turn around and ask me that same question, I don't know that I could answer it. I understand it to mean like equality of outcome. And even if you ask me what that means, I couldn't take it any further. Like it's like, we're trying to address what happened and like we were taking an advantage disadvantage. We're taking into mind that they were affected in some way and therefore maybe a step down where others people, other people may be a step up. You know what I'm saying? I feel like that's part of Am I? Could you say it again? So like, yeah, sorry, I'm high. So it's, I probably cool. didn't say that very clearly. Uh, thank you. Yeah, um, maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and what you're tackling is difficult subject matters. So. Yeah, it is tough. It's tough. So like, it's like the idea that because of certain policies like economics, which I found that interesting that Maryland had that, I, um, like that's, I think it's awesome that they took that into consideration because it seemed like Illinois and I'm not saying this is bad. It's just, it was narrowly focused on like disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. It would have maybe been interesting to see if like other poor, like maybe just bad areas where maybe that is the same. Maybe those are the same areas. I don't know. It's like you were acknowledging that some of these policies put people a step back. And so how do we give them like help, like the help that they need because we're acknowledging that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's, on on track um social equity policies are being looked at as um almost in lieu of reparations right yeah um black and brown populations have historically been over policed uh using drug laws and other among other laws but drug laws and now there's this new economic opportunity um and people are trying to find a way to right those wrongs. Um, I think that there's, uh, it's a noble cause. Um, and, uh, then policy is being built in a way to try to address that in a way that is like legally allowed and constitutionally, uh, acceptable. Right. right. Um, and, uh, unfortunately nobody's found a way to, um, define it as black and brown communities and um and even when it's proposed that way you do get a lot of um pushback um because it's not that there weren't also white people uh and other races that weren't criminalized by the war on drugs but not to the same degree right and at the same rates right um and so i'm interested watching all the experiments that have popped up i think um the I like the proactive ones some, somewhat more than the reactive ones. Colorado's is a reactive one. It wasn't put in place until very recently, um, whereas New York is um, starting with an equity-first model, not a revenue-first model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and by that you mean in New York they have existing operators which they could just give the green light and they could start selling to adult use just like they did in Illinois, just like they did in, well, they could do in Maryland. Have they done it in Maryland? That's what they're doing in Maryland, uh, July first. Good, um, good for Maryland. Uh, but, but also, maybe that's not so great. You know what I'm saying? I'm it's like, it's not my favorite. I I, yeah. I advocated and wrote letters that um, 
first mover advantage should not go to the existing operators and right. that um, at least some licenses should be allowed to open up before they're allowed to convert. Uh, Missouri, same way. And um, it gets hailed by capital market people and people that have publicly traded companies as the way to go. They're like, yeah. look at Missouri. They're on track to do $2 billion in their first year of sales because they allowed all these existing operators to convert. I get it, but first and in fact, they argue that they deserve it because they like set, we set it up and we've been proven to be tested and you know they say all those things. They the, they've even said they were promised it in Maryland. That yeah, that's that they not were surprising. promised it. Like <laughs> it's um, they they it's the, yeah. There's a there's a very high degree of entitlement uh, from from existing medical operators. Um, to the degree that they even will sue states when they don't get what they want. I mean, it's, uh, it, but if you look like there's a significant advantage to, for, to being first to market, um, that's when prices are high. That's when you make the profits that pay off these facilities in like five to seven years, as opposed to like 10 years to never. Right. Um, if you get in late to the game, um, so if you're trying to make social equity about a wealth creation opportunity, first mover advantage really is necessary for, for equity licensees. Um, there's like, it's not an advantage to be late, but at least then you can predict the market a little better, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's 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 interesting to watch. Um, I like I like what New York is doing. Um, the first license, the first retail licenses are all going to people um, who have uh, criminal charges and um, have operated a business uh, at, that was profitable um, recently. So uh, they're they're obviously very capable, right? Yeah. Um, there's been some issues with the rollout that have um, kept these uh, a lot of the licensees from becoming operational. I think the biggest one is that um, most or a lot of applicants were relying on the state to find their location and fund the build out of it, which the state had promised to do, but they haven't raised the money to actually accomplish that goal. Yeah. Interesting. Um, in New York and like, I know the answer in Illinois, but I, I wonder like, so like I probably didn't nail the definition of social equity. And as you said, it's not been like clearly defined and it is broadly defined in many cases because of some objections, uh, from, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not even going to go there, but, uh, I, I'm starting to wonder like, and I, again, I don't know what New York's looks like, and I don't know if you're able to speak to this, uh, but like, I'm, I'm wondering why social equity doesn't, at least in Illinois, this is my anecdotal expect, you know, perspective coming out. It doesn't include the end of the criminalization of cannabis. Um, like everybody hails it in Illinois as a success. And, and again, maybe I'm speaking anecdotally, but it seems like a lot of people in the media, um, like point to Illinois is like, and I guess it's good I, here. Let's give credit where credit is due. 
I guess the good thing that we can draw from Illinois is that it does seem like every state forward and even maybe Colorado is following us. I've heard that. Um, like social equity is now part of the conversation, like a mandated part of the conversation. Yeah, I, I guess think, I think to your point about credit where credit is due, it was one of the first states to act, implement an active social equity program or at least and like lean it on it law. and like point to it as like like I feel like that's the reason it got past and i know maybe you can't speak to this because you're not from illinois but people would point to it like we are going to right the wrongs of history with this you i know what i mean no i i wasn't like paying attention when they did it <laughs> yeah. yeah so but that's the that's thing that's good to know yeah it's interesting and it's like that's a lot of people credit it to is and that's why some of our social equity licensees are so frustrated because they're like we this law was passed because of us to give us a chance, you know, and then years ago and they're not operational and they're not operational and and they're facing all these issues are still saying, Hey, look what we did. And it's like, you didn't do anything. Right. Um, and to the the point about like the people that cheered on and looked to it as a, I've heard it referred to as a better model for social equity than New York, where the only companies that are operational in New York are either social equity applicants or nonprofits. Um, so in my mind, they're doing better than a state that, yeah, has a massive $2 billion a year market and there are no active social, there's like, now there's like what, four or five active social equity businesses in Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that the, again, the point from, from at least all of the licensees I've spoken to, um, cause I've not spoken to all of them. There's a limited number of them, but it's still over a hundred, like technically speaking, when you break it up into like craft and then retail and all that stuff. Um, and some of them hold multiple licenses. That's, uh, I don't want to, uh, bounce off of that, but, uh, market share is a key component of, of social equity. You know what I mean? So it's like that I, I wonder if, so like you're saying, and I agree with you, I want to be clear. I agree with you that that's in my opinion opinion that's better there's more people that are currently operational new york did it after us and there are more people possibly currently operational like that's crazy to think about but like i i don't know it's interesting they they they're like it's not about how easy the license is to get and i don't think they were like saying they're not cutting off their nose to spite their face i want to be clear they're not like we want this to be hard for ourselves, but they're definitely not advocating to make it easier. Uh, you know what I mean? Like for others, you know what I mean? It's all about mm. making it easier for them and their experience. And I get it. You know what I mean? But it's like, I, I, I the thought I get caught up in and I'm getting to it uh, slowly, but surely is it does seem like it's like limited. And I hate, I, I hate that at least in Illinois, the idea is to keep a cap on the number of them it's like okay so we picked a few golden ticket winners and then everybody else who could or maybe would apply and could qualify for this sorry it's just the wrong time buddy you know you're wrong mm-hmm. time wrong place and i just yeah. it's sour for me you know the thought of it yeah yeah i'm i'm not a fan of limits on the number of licenses to the uh, the point that you've been making about like it's yeah it's not really legal it's just less illegal and, like <laughs> yeah, yeah you know um it, it, the the bar for illegality is higher now so um 
Does Colorado have per cap? I, this is the convers- This is the question I almost bounced off to in the middle of my explanation earlier. Does Colorado have per like per ownership limitations of which I am kind of supportive of? It's like no, it doesn't. You can doesn't. own as many and as much of the market as you want. Yeah, and is that what you were about to get to? Sorry, I cut you off. Um, yes, I I I would be a fan of like cap caps on how much of the market you can control yeah prevent preventing anyone. monopolies yep. Yep. um while still allowing for um the commoditization to occur which i think is inevitable and discourages the unlicensed element if that if that is to be a goal of legalization um and then also uh, i think you're going to have more consumer satisfaction with like a more diversely owned market of small operators than you will um with like three big ones right (laughs) like if it's just amazon walmart and safeway like you're not gonna enjoy your consumables Mm -hmm. um yeah 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 uh brilliantly said um well what i was gonna ask and this is what i've been building up to and uh we can start we can maybe wrap with our eco conversation and go get some food um because i've got the munchies yeah (laughs) so um i wish that social equity started to include like part of the definition like maybe we could write this part out you know um (laughs) like uh maybe maybe we could write this part out because the other parts like you said if you bring up like race people get touchy i feel like what we should write into it very clearly and it's easy and it's broad and understandable is like social equity should include if we're going to say that social equity is a a success in our state it's the ending of the criminalization of cannabis like however we have to do it descheduling no more possession limits no more plant counts it's like tomatoes you know what i mean like and I'm like, I, cause it's like, here we are, we're, we're acknowledging what has happened. And we're like, these are the policies that started this all. And this is why we need to give these people a chance and support them and everything else. I think you were kind of alluding to this earlier, but like, yeah, all, all laws are enforced by the same judi- judicial system that in my opinion is almost entirely lacking in j- actual justice. Yes. Um, incarceration is the ultimate uh, penalty for a wide range of crimes um, and is used far too often. Um, I mean, if, if making, if locking people up made society safe, we would be the safest country in the world. And it's not true, right? There are much safer places in the world than the U S and they incarcerate people at much lower rates. Um, and police have no duty to help you. Um, they are routinely violent and abusive and murderous against the citizens that they're sworn to protect and serve. Um, so I, it's one of those things where, like, can there be any justice to uh, legalization when it's enforced within this same system? Um, there's still people that think you should be locked up for a plant. And I mean, that's such a mis a misguided way of thinking. Um, 
yeah. that I can't that I almost don't even know where to start with them. Like in, in try <laughs> yeah. in trying to convince them otherwise. So Yeah. Well, sounds like we're on the same page about it. Um it sounds like you you're picking up what I'm putting down. Um but yeah, I just it, it seems like, you know, there are many different uh definitions. Some people have even our governors tried to say uh he'll bring up expungements. And I'm like uh, you can't say that expungements are part of social equity. I will give you that it affected people. It's part of the policies that affected people. I, I but was able it to should get just be. Yeah. It should just. The thing is, though, uh, about an expungement, I don't think it's a social. It's like you can't say that's social equity. And for, please correct me if you feel differently. Um, I don't think it's social equity because the government should do that. They should, that we are acknowledging that what they did was wrong. So it's not about like giving me a hand or, or acknowledging what you did. I mean, it is acknowledging what you did. It's acknowledging what you did was wrong. Undo it. And I, you don't get any like applause from me. Like that's just what you should do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, it's I, it's I, weird to I, me. Like that, like yeah. that should go without saying, you know, it's legal. So why it's, wouldn't it's my the right thing away? to do? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think in in a way the the term social equity has been bastardized for a lot of causes, uh, political and personal, yeah. um, and uh, often used in substitute of just the right thing to do. Um, yeah, it's it's I I think it's only just that if you're going to legalize weed, that people with old charges should be able to expunge those charges. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, I guess just to wrap, why do you love sun-grown cannabis? You get you had listed off an interesting stat to me earlier, and I'm sure that you know nationwide it'd be interesting to see what these numbers are. But oh yeah, yeah. So, um, sun-grown weed is way better for the earth. Um, in Denver, indoor growing contributes to some like ten percent of our industrial emissions. Um, there's a lot of square footage of indoor growing in Denver and the power in Colorado is powered by dirty power plants. And so, um, every watt that you use is, is causing more emissions. Um, so also not very economical. Um, there are some benefits to the amount of control you get over the environment. Um, but those benefits come at significant cost to, to building out that infrastructure to do it properly. Um, and in cities, popular cities, um, the cost of real estate is just too high to, to do it economically. So, um, excuse me, I feel like I'm going to sneeze. Oh, it's all good. (laughs) So yeah, also there's a study that, um, came out recently compared a couple of plants grown side by side both indoors in a controlled environment and outdoors under the sun <laughs> the plant that was grown outdoors had much more uh, diverse minor cannabinoids um, a higher level of terpenes more terpenes um, and uh, was stickier and uh, I may have been some, had more aroma as well um, there's just a ton of benefits to growing outdoors. There, I, there, people that say you can't do it and get good quality product, um, there's probably a case for greenhouse controlled environments for um, like smokable bud 
that you want really top shelf presentation of. Um, but there's a lot of really high quality weed that's growing outdoors that's perfectly smokable, if not as pretty as the, the same plant grown indoors. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think you, you just said part of it, what you were saying is that even if it's not smokable, maybe you could, um, extract it or, or, you know, put it in a rosin press and make some good edibles out of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 there is still a lot of what's called biomass that's used for those extraction purposes that's grown indoors. And that's crazy to me. I mean, like selling it as byproduct makes sense, but, um, it's, it's relying on it. And, and as an extractor paying those prices seems wild when you could just buy outdoor crop for significantly less and probably have higher yields um, yeah. because it's not trim material. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the, that's where I was coming from is, so there, there's uh I recently found out and it apparently was this, I don't, I, it seems like it was a secret cause it wasn't written into Illinois law. Uh, there was a, a, a few cultivators that had been allowed to grow outdoors and it's very strictly said in Illinois, you've got to have like a cultivation center. It's indoors, like the, the mm. you know, all this stuff. And so apparently a few of these operators, the big ones, uh, got, a temporary variance to grow outdoors on the understanding that it's not to be used as smokable product only to be extracted mm. for like infused products um the trade so, association is very powerful in illinois <laughs> yeah yeah and so uh apparently i've not been able to get my hands on this lawsuit but we had a cultivator that went on the record uh regarding this lawsuit and they backed up what i'm saying too by the way uh it, they basically apparently other people wanted this right because again not that it's like something you should lean on as a business model but in a in a time when you're looking for money and you're trying to like maybe diversify your product portfolio or whatever the case may be like give throw me a freaking bone here can i grow outdoors and apparently they were like nah and apparently I keep saying apparently like that kid off of the, the news uh, segment, you know what I'm talking about? The viral one. I'll stick it into the <laughs> interview for people that don't know what I'm talking about. What did you think about the ride? It was great. And apparently I've never been on live television before, but apparently sometimes I don't watch the sh- I don't watch the news because I'm a kid and apparently every time apparently grandpa just gives me a remote after we watch the Powerball. It's the Powerball. <laughs> um, but uh, allegedly uh, they those variances did expire for the operators that were doing that. And it wasn't like they were just like growing it out in a fucking field. I I thought that was the case at first and people described it as a field, but apparently it's like, it is an enclosure, but it's like netted and it's got a lot of cameras around it or something like that, but it's outdoors still. I don't know how to describe it because I've not seen it, but I've just been told about it. Um, a lot of outdoor grows are required to have 360 cameras and um, privacy fence and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, the reason I bring that up is people want to do it and the state all of a sudden is being like, nah, you can't do that. And uh, I, I've even heard apparently the state bring up reasons like, well, it's not safe. 
what if something in the air polluted it and it's like but we test you test the batch at the end of the day so like deny it you know what i mean <laughs> like i don't know like what's the deal there's no good reason not to allow outdoor growing that's another thing that um i think new york got right um is that the first licenses to grow were granted to companies that previously had licenses to grow hemp right tell me about that a lot of them were are were growing outdoors and did grow outdoors and they were allowed to grow a lot more outdoors than if they went in a greenhouse um and i think that their grow license tiers are still based on that like you can have x canopy if you have greenhouse with supplemental lighting and you can grow more if you grow outside um it's very doable and you can get great product out of it you just have to know what you're doing and like you said they've been doing it with hemp which they were is, already doing it yeah. which is cannabis it's just you know the legal differences there there is no difference in terms of the practices of growing the product and, right. and if you're harvesting it for smokable or biomass purposes it's pretty much the same as well um, so so let me say that back to you in new york uh the growers sorry the people that were hemp growers can now be uh in the like new adult use market the first licenses that were granted last year were granted to hemp farmers that applied at, to convert um this october i think is when they're expecting uh regular licenses to open up for cultivators gotcha do they have home grow in new york they have to implement home grow within 18 months of the first legal sales which happened in december of last year so um i'm glad that makes it next july that they have to have allowed it by then they do have medical home grow in new york oh cool that's cool that they at least like have an ultimatum yeah and and honestly if i were this is not legal advice for anybody from new york but like if i were a new yorkian i don't know if that's what you say a new yorker (laughs) yeah a new yorker (laughs) i'm so fucking high um uh i would basically just like look at those medical regs and comply with that and then like just bank on that because like Worst case scenario, they're going to be like, all right, fuck it. You can do the same thing as medical patients, right? I mean, worst case scenario. I don't know. Like Maryland has four plant count for medical patients, two plant count for non-medical patients. Two plant count. Okay. Per household, too. Per household. They did that in Illinois as well. They did that in (laughs) Illinois, fuckers. (laughs) Damn it. Colorado's caught up to that, too. You used to be able to, like, pull together so many... uh, adults in the house and and you can't do that anymore no no um i think the 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 state ultimately stopped allowing it um but most cities had also stopped allowing it too where people were like stacking i guess when we're talking back to where we started the 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 impact is that of the energy like the impact of everybody fucking growing like crazy amounts at home like it oh i i i doubt that um home grow was having the same kind of effect because most home growers use like i mean even back then they weren't using thousand watt 
lights at home. Ah. Uh, most people use like now a 600 uh, watt LED um, or a 300 or 600 watt like uh, HID. A thousand watts, like then you start needing all kinds of AC and stuff like that. And um, it's just next level. Yeah. Why do you think they, what, what do you think is the driving force behind cutting it down? Like did it, what, um, like in Colorado at least? Well, I mean, they wanted to increase licensed market participation. They don't, they don't want to miss tax revenue. Um, and there's still a large contingent of like full on prohibitionists and like, what about the kids types in mm. Colorado? Yeah. Um, that, look to increase taxes and decrease access to weed still last year we had sam here um uh, passed a bill uh to decrease medical patient limits um you used to be able to buy um an ounce a, of concentrate an right? ounce of concentrates and i forget more flour than you can buy now like a half pound or, or a quarter pound or a half yeah. pound um and now it's the same. It's par with rec limits. So it's an ounce a day or eight grams of concentrates, which really doesn't work for rural residents like that want to come in and stock up um, on top of like back to the point about liquor. Like you can buy as much liquor as you want. Um, right. So, but, you know, the state almost like gladly goes along with that because they're like, well, the people that are actually using it here will probably just buy it on the licensed market and pay the taxes, and the people yeah. that are shipping it out of state will probably just stop doing that, um, or it'll be harder for them, and they'll have to pay the taxes. <laughs> yeah. Another part of that, am I wrong in saying, I noticed there's pamphlets in dispensaries now, and it has like a suggested serving limit for concentrate. Oh, my God. Yeah. So they had to start handing that pamphlet out, and as of now or very soon concentrate companies have to put like an actual serving size suggestion sticker in their packaging somewhere um yeah i mean i'm all i'm all for it i just noticed it i mean what like i'm on for informed uh consumers and then suggested serving limits and stuff i guess but but it's I will not say the th- worst idea, yeah. I will say the the uh, yeah, it's not the worst idea. The other stuff you talked about is so fucked up, man. I thought I knew about it, but the way you just laid it out is really fucked up. I knew that they lessened the concentrate to eight grams, which is on par with adult use, but I didn't realize they did everything else on par with adult use, which is the only thing that's still different is you can buy higher potency edibles on the medical market cool (laughs) (laughs) that's the only difference it's like all right um i like they're 200 milligrams aren't they it's not like they're like 500 milligrams i think you can go up to a thousand oh okay that's kind of cool but um the other the, the thing that like people will say about it is they're just trying to kill the medical market and drive all the sales to the adult use market where they get state and local taxes um, yeah, that's why the government's happy to oblige the prohibitionists in this because it's just a tax boost and like, oh, who's getting hurt? Like the stoniest of the stoners that are buying a half pound is how they think about it. I mean, they neglect that like a lot of weed smokers are organized and like can get votes. Yeah. 
maybe not as many as like the some larger contingents and other niche uh, areas of concern, but they're still active. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, that's, that's just crazy to think about. Um, and, and I, would I be correct in saying that because the thing in it, in, am I correct in saying that I could store hop, not chains? I know that they've got that figured out now where chains have their, uh, I didn't learn by experience. I read about it. I'm, I wasn't embarrassed unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, uh, you can, you can jump around as an adult use customer because it's not like there's a database that's taking anything but a medical cannabis patient probably couldn't medical cannabis sales are logged in the state track and trace and they are limited a day probably right is it just a day or is it a month or what's i think it's per day okay yeah um so they yeah um yes the the state is tracking store hopping i think it, it is still illegal to do it but yeah to your point um the only way it's enforced is that chains have to um, track how much they sell you as an individual every day. Yeah. Yeah. It was just interesting. If you think about more to your point, they are fine to limit a medical cannabis patient hard. You can like there, we've got a state tracking system, so you will not, you will not. But um, like me, I'm not even fucking from here mm-hmm. and I can buy more weed in a day. Yeah. Not legally. But, Not legally, but I can do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what That's I mean? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. It, like, they would be stopped if they got their medical card. It was like, I need more medical cannabis. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So... Well, anyways, uh, that's a good note to end on. I have to use the restroom. I'm hungry. Um, cool. Uh, any, any thoughts? I want to give you some space uh, to close on. How do you, this is a question that is very much inspired by Box Brown. I try to ask people all the time. He used Norway as an example. You know, they've got legal cannabis, yet legal cannabis, because you can find it in stores. But I think even the transportation of cannabis, he highlights in the comic strip. I'll try to display it right now for our listeners or people watching. Um, He just, you know, you can buy it in stores, but even trans, so it's like, don't tell us how it got here. Weed's legal if you get it in the store, right? Um, people, you can you can still get arrested, and there's no energy to change that because most people will just go to the store and get it, and then they'll go home and they won't get in trouble. And they're like, "The what's the issue, man? I can buy my weed." And so, you've just succinctly described my biggest problem with incremental reforms with weed is that as soon as people get access they don't give a fuck how or why or <laughs> who makes money off of it for the most yeah. part um some do i'm not gonna say that none do sure, but sure. um it is not like a hugely popular or pivotal issue to most people once they get access yeah um so even if the laws are you know kind of shitty or um don't really improve things for anybody or miss out on local communities like taking part in what amount what wealth there is to be created with this industry um it it gets missed just for access yeah just for just for access i've been given flack i've been called divisive because i've i say that if you shop at illinois dispensaries 
you are funding this incrementalism. You're, you're supporting the if you, you know if you're supporting those licensees that uh, which are most of them in Illinois. Mm. Um, you are funding funding this incrementalism. You're you're perpetuating the war on drugs, everything else. And they say it's divisive. And I say like, I'm not absolved of that. I've had to shop at Illinois dispensaries before in the past. Yeah. I I have a cartridge in my uh, van from you know an Illinois dispensary that exploded on the way here because of the uh, elevation. <laughs> You know, I forgot that happens in the mountains. I learned that my lesson last time. I should have remembered. Um, but um, okay, I'm not absolved of that. I have also, I guess, donated to that fund. But I guess what I'm saying is, I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that that was the case. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's why I don't have like an Amazon Prime account. Like that shit is convenient, and they have a lot of entertainment options. But I don't want to give that company any of my money, and I don't shop at Chick Fil A. And there's a couple other companies that I just don't give my money to because I don't like what they support. And when I have a chance, I go to Lowe's over Home Depot. Yeah. Um, but most people don't want to be bothered with those decisions and just want the easy and low-cost uh, option. I'll end with my guilty pleasure because to your point, it's the worst like polluter, I think, in the world. Do you know who they are? I think if I'm wrong and remembering my numbers like a brand that contributes to the most pollution no coca-cola i believe oh really i fucking love (laughs) coca-cola i'm a cokehead and i i hate saying that out of context but i i've said that out of context before like i'm a cokehead and look whoa and i I love coca-cola you know coke is great it's a great product i feel bad medium coke is the best coke that there is just Mm -hmm. for the record yeah and i feel bad for you know supporting it or whatever but yeah I didn't know that they were the world's biggest polluter. Maybe I'm wrong on it. People Google um, it. Um, I want to look that up, yeah. Um, but uh, that's, I mean, yeah. Like, look, we all live in this world, and, like, I feel like it's not... It, 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 doing better doesn't have to be all or nothing. Sure. Um, and there's a lot of... Uh, people that don't want to take such a nuanced view. And if you listen to people online where nuance doesn't play, like then you, 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 ne- you never <laughs> you, like the, 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 you'd be all in one way or the other. Right. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Right. Um, right. On, on an individual level, um, it's cool to indulge every now and then. And it's cool to try to do better every now and then. Yeah, and I, like you say, it's nuanced. Like I, I'm drinking it knowing that I hate what they do. It's like God, right. damn, this is so good. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, like I won't acknowledge. I, I'm not gonna say that Chick Fil A's waffle fries aren't amazing. <laughs> yeah, God like damn. I know that they're very good. It's yeah. an excellent product, and I and I'm not buying it. Mm-hmm. Right, like yeah, yeah. Well, uh, anything else as we close? Sorry, I told you I'd give you the space, and then I jump in. I'm high as fuck. Oh, um. Cool. Yeah, uh, you had asked about our uh, yeah, fundraising earlier. Um, we are uh, actively fundraising. Um, anybody can invest in the Honeybee Collective uh, with as little as $100. Um, we're on the main best platform, so M-A-I-N-V-E-S-T.com, and you can search for the Honeybee Collective. Um, we are expanding into New York. We're currently in 27 dispensaries in Colorado, um, and we're bringing our values and our products uh, across the country. So uh, we're very excited about that. Um, we're bringing on some new partners uh, in that business. Um, so 
plan to launch products in New York in um, probably late August, early September. So keep an eye out in New York dispensaries as well. Um, and follow us on social. Yeah. Hey, congrats on getting into other states. I didn't realize that. The, Thanks. I think you had mentioned it honestly in the past, but I didn't really come to. Fruition. That's why I'm paying so much attention to their market. Yeah. Um, we are very excited. We partnered with Hepworth Farms, um, which is a seventh generation woman owned family farm. Um, they grow food and um, cannabis is a way to bring much needed revenue to a small organic farm that like it's very hard to be competitive in that line of business these days so um we're very excited they have some of the best product uh in the market um that's not just according to us some of my friends that have our dispensary buyers like have seen everything in the state and say it's very very good nice so um very excited to be in that market um and I very much support like the like I said the policy uh that's being implemented there um so want to be a part of that movement and want to see our brand and our values um spread more into the industry because that was really why we started this company is like we were frustrated with the way that business is done in the industry and wanted to see it done a different way that was a little bit more fair yeah and again, if you're down with that, you can invest. Um, Chris will get me a link that I'll include in the podcast description. You can click on that if that's easier, or you can use the instructions he gave you, whichever is easiest for you. Um, I, I encourage you to, uh, if, you, if you're down with it, invest. It sounds like, I mean, do you mind what, sounds like there's good options. I looked at it the last time you guys were calling for investment, and it's like, it was it was reasonable, like, and good returns, so. Cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're selling equity this time, which means you can own um, a piece of the, the Honeybee Collective. Um, if we were to get acquired in the future or to our ultimate goal is to exit into a full um, employee, 100% employee ownership through a formal ESOP trust, um, that's our end goal, but we wouldn't turn down um good offers that enriched our team as well and our mm -hmm. investors. Um, so, um, the, the upside isn't defined. Um, we're raising, um, up to $500,000. You can invest with as little as a hundred dollars. So far we've raised about $57,000 from 40 people, I think. Um, so we're very excited about that. And a lot of our investors, you were, you mentioned our last round, our last round, we sold debt. Um, and a lot of those investors have actually converted those debt positions to equity because they see what we're doing and want to continue to be a part of it as owners. Very cool. Very cool. Well, uh, I will go on the record and saying you've got an investor in me. I will figure out that information and cool. throw down. And, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, it'll be cool to be able to officially say that. Um, I just want to say thank you for being so hospitable with not only your time, but welcoming me into, you know, your humble abode and smoking weed with me. And I know we're still going to go have dinner and, or lunch and stuff, but thanks for being willing to hop on the pod again, man. For sure. Yeah. Thanks for making the drive up. I appreciate it. It's good to finally meet you in person. Absolutely, dude. Yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Hey folks, I hope you found as much value in this conversation as I did. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care.